I'm Natasha Norman, and this is the Latitude Art Podcast. Gabriella Raff is a painter whose subjects are subtle and nuanced. Her figures and forms are often expressed in a single brush mark, inspired by a calligraphy course she attended while in Japan. Her attention to the delicate material qualities of ink, watercolour and oil paint defines her working process, which she describes as an engaged studio practice, built on a consistency of hard work and a sensitivity to the environment she lives in. In both her life and work, Gabby considers the relationship of the individual to the crowd within urban landscapes. Often as an artist, I've, myself especially, I can sometimes uh, feel a little bit, uh, uh, I find myself being a bit self-conscious of, of how some of my work can look so different. Mm-hmm. So the genre can be quite different. So I can work with watercolor, but in a very, very uh, edited, uh, gentle way with, with these quite quite specific shapes. So it might be the shape of, of roof, looking down onto rooftops or looking down onto people and, and reducing the complexity of those forms into very, very simple shapes of, of color and form. And then I will work on on a body of work that is quite large and is is far less about knowing what I'm going to do next in terms of okay this shape's going to fit there and and I'm definitely going to use blue or green here and there's and there's a very definite edge to the mark that's made. Some of the work that I can make e- even simultaneously is very intuitive, lots of washes of paint that that kind of have a life of their own. Um, it, it relies quite a lot on a on a much more intuitive process where there's quite a lot of so-called um, chaos and and error in inverted commas. Mm. So I can look at these bodies of work and think, geez, is, do, do I come across as very schizophrenic? Um, <laughs> no, to, is the answer. By, by uh, viewers. But then you realise that actually the, 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 the quality of the mark, although it can, can land up looking quite different, the actual... You, you can see the same hand has done it. Mm. And I think that most artists with the help of colleagues and viewers will, will realize that and, and, and can acknowledge that although they can make quite disparate work, it's, it, 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 you can see it comes from the same hand. Because I also then went to, to Japan. At that point, that visit introduced me to Japanese ink, um, which I hadn't used before. I, I was working with watercolor. Um, so the, the proper ink stick, which you rub against a, a wet slate to produce a lovely pool of ink, which just has the most beautiful smell to it as you're rubbing it. And it's very much a, you work with the ink that you've made just before you make that painting. So, yes, it's not stored. So it's not stored. You can get stored ink, yeah. but um, it is just something very beautiful about the process of making your ink before creating the work. So that that time that it takes to rub the ink stick against the slate, you are you are thinking about what you're going to be making. Uh, so it's a pause, it's a little bit of a meditative space. Um, and I did uh, I did a lovely quite a short course 
little workshop with a with a master calligrapher in Japan. And it was probably two or three hours. But I remember we sat there with our slate and and the ink that ink stick that he gave us for probably about five minutes just just rubbing the the stick to produce a certain amount of of ink. So the viscosity of the ink has you have to rub for a certain amount of time to get the the uh, the intensity of um, the tone that you're looking for. Um, so that that was a big influence, and then of course it, because it's it's monochromatic, the influence of of just working with one color in in a in a painting means that you are taking your appreciation for the color black becomes much broader because black you get a blue black and you get a brown black and you get all the the hundreds of shades between that so. What it also required, uh, which in sort of my nature of working, was starting very, very soft. And so that then also influenced the way that I was working with with other materials. Um, so because you work in the watercolour, and I know you've done a series in the, is it Sumi ink, the black ink? Uh, yes, yeah. yes, it is. And now you, I mean, more recently you've, you've come across something that completely shifts my mind, but water-based Oil paints, yes, yes, and I mean, I cannot get my head around that, <laughs> but I know yeah. they exist. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it was actually because uh, I've got a very long-standing relationship with Catherine, who who runs Art Source, uh, from from when I used to teach at the Ren Yellow School many many moons ago, and she she used to supply the art materials for the students, <clears throat> and she once came to me and said, "I've got this." It was to my studio. She said, I've got this, this water-based oil tube and we're not quite sure if we should stock it. And can you just like see yes. what it does? Test it for me. And at that point, I had stopped working with oil paint because of an illness that I that I got uh, that was definitely partly triggered by the fume-based the fume based w- with oil because I worked with oil paint at university and, and for many years after that. So was it was it the terps or the the terps? terps yeah. Uh, yeah, the fumes and which just aggravated my particular constitution. Mm. So I couldn't work with any fume based materials any longer. So then when I discovered this, it was just at a time where I'd been working with a lot of ink and with a lot of watercolor, and I'd also was starting to uh, I'd sort of come through this illness, which mm. took me about three years to recover wow. from it. It was an autoimmune disease. And I was starting to feel ready to work with something a little bit more, um, uh, something that had more uh, sort of material body. body. Yes. Yeah. So, so the material was kind of my my desire to work with something that that had more impasto qualities and 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 a and a just more there, more color, more strength. Kind of mimicked my physical state of being. How interesting, yes. Um, and so then I tried it and I was like, well, this is quite nice because it actually works works very well with water. And uh, and then and then I just carried on working, you know, I just got more colors obviously. So it is an odd it's an odd concept and and you get varying as with any materials, you get varying degrees of uh, quality. Mm. So so you know, there's some this and unfortunately because not many people use the product it's very expensive. It's much more expensive than oil paint. So, so that's um, and that's not the only reason 
why I work with so little. <laughs> but it's kind Economy. of – Yeah, it's kind of uh, – uh, it works for me. Um, so I almost work with it like it's putting a drop of ink in water. So I'll actually start a painting with with quite a large amount of, of watery ink literally like two, uh, uh, bottles of ink that, I, well, that I'll put two or three drops of a color, mix up a, a, a tub of, of inky water and sort of splash it across the canvas or use very, very big brushes to, to paint it on and, and let that dry. Uh, and then I slowly will bring uh, more of the water-based oil in and it also then, then you can work with it in a very impasto way. Mm. Um, but it just what, – what's also interesting is I realized that depending on how you prepare your surface, so I either work with on board uh, – I like working on plyboard that I then paint paint with gesso and sand it down so that you're almost mimicking the quality of paper. Oh. And then when you work with either watercolor or water-based oil on that, it actually dries almost the way it dries on paper. And – what you'll notice if you look quite carefully on on most of my works and on any watercolor painting is that the the pigment because you're working with a lot of water and if you imagine a, like a pool of water sitting on top of a surface your your pigment floats towards the edge yes. of that pool so that once that that piece of color has dried you have a slightly darker edge then, almost like a line. Almost like a line. Quite, and yes. and that just thrills me beyond words. It always has. It's what, what drew me to watercolor. I absolutely love that. So if, if you're patient enough, which I am, to allow the layers that I work with to dry before I work with another layer on top of it. Um, and, and, and that's how I'm, I'm able to achieve this sort of beautiful, beautiful pigment edge, um, even though it's not watercolor. Uh, then I also work with uh, – I, I stopped working on canvas because I didn't want such a coarse grain. So I work with calico cotton, which is a, a much finer, which I stretch myself. And, and, then, I, and then I'll work with old-fashioned rab, rabbit size, uh, glue size, just to protect the, cam, the, the cotton and, and then a, sort of a light, a light dilution of gesso. So that it's uh, in a way my preparation of my surface is always almost always about trying to make whatever I'm working on feel like it's paper. So so my 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 mindset is always almost like I'm working on paper, even though I'm working with oil on, can on canvas. On, on a cotton well, one. it just coming back to the story of your calligraphy lesson. It's it it is about the preparation of the surface. Because the your touch is so light, and mm. and you're working with the way that water responds to that touch. Mm. The only thing you really have control over is the surface on which that yes. is going to present itself. Yes. So yes. in the five minutes that you have to rub that sumi stick to get mm. the perfect color black, it's like that seems to be is is that kind of a, a big part of your process? This preparation. Yes. Yes. Definitely. When I'm working on on those pieces. Um, Yes, it is. It's it's, uh, and obviously also the when I'm working on paper, you have to stretch your paper first. So I've got these huge boards. If I'm working on very big uh, watercolor or ink ink pieces, and that's a that's a, fab, a, a whole roll of Fabriano, like ten meters of Fabriano, that I'll ro roll out onto the board, and then you have to 
dampen your paper and glue it down with a special gum tape. And, um, and that process, I mean, I must have, it would be interesting if, if I could somehow count back how many boards I've stretched, how many pieces of paper piece of paper I've stretched. It would be in the thousands at this point. Does everyone work or do you mean, could you, can you do Almost the whole Almost every single one. I don't think I've ah. ever had a, uh, the only time, like it's, uh, if you, if you, if you use too much water, your paper can, can crinkle too much. But I think it's, uh, that's what's so amazing about paper. It's so strong. It's incredibly mm. strong. And you can even, if there's a tiny ripple that you don't like, you can actually cut, cut your, your, um, your gum tape off slightly and then just re-glue it. But paper is incredibly resilient and strong. I think a lot of uh, uh, framers are often quite amazed when an artist who works on paper brings their work in and they whip it out and, and sort of move it, move around, it around and they're like, ah, <laughs> be careful, where's your white gloves? And you like, you know, you realize the extent to which you can push it and, and the extent to which you can er erase something if you're not happy with the strength or where where you possibly put something, um, that you have very little room to play with. Um, but in a way, that's part of the that's part of the challenge and the joy of working on paper. Is is it, it you truly are confronted with this big white space, mm, like the, the actual blank? Yes, white. Yeah, space. and at some point, you just have to commit to that first mark. But we, coming back to what you were talking about, the surface, you know, there's something very different about being a, a painter who works in, in pasto with like quite thick paint because you, you can always, you're almost obliterating your surface. Mm. Um, whereas if you're working with very, very light dilutions of ink, watercolor, water-based oil, you, as you said, you have to be, your preparation is very important because very often you might your final painting, there's quite a lot of that original surface that's actually still visible. Yeah. So there's a lot of, in, the, in that interplay, there's a sense you prepare, but but the, the the surface that you're working off is almost like a skin and and there's mo and it's very present mm. in the final work. Yeah. It's not, like you say, it's not, it hasn't been sort of lathered in thick makeup, yes. so to speak. Like yes. there's a, yeah. a kind of truth to to the mm. state of that mm. material and that speaks to one of the most uh important things about watercolor painting and that is that you never work with white yes uh occasionally if you want a certain kind of strange blue or certain strange pinky color you might add a, add a tiny little bit of white but if you want something to be white you've got to leave it the white of the paper and that's that's the huge um, that's the thing that really sets water-based and, and watercolor painting sets it apart from any other kind of painting. So that that means that you've got to really have. I mean, your process your process is quite experimental, and you know, I get the sense that you make a mark and then respond to what that mark mm. gave you and work mm. again. So that's almost in contradiction to you know having to plan an image or mm. at least preserve parts of the image where you don't overwork mm. it. I mean, how do you find that that so, juggling so, act? So this is the way the schizophrenia comes in because <laughs> some of the work I make is uh, looking down on on city folk who are wandering through, through the city. So I'll go 
into Cape Town CBD and I, I'll drive up to the like fifth floor of the car park and I'll take my camera and t- just t- take little videos of people wandering uh, uh, like back and forth. Most of these people going to ta- the taxi rank or to the bus station or whatever. And then I go back to my studio and I sit and I look at these little videos and then I try and uh, it's very much about form Mm. And composition, I'll go, well, that's a fantastic form, the way those two people are crossing and her leg sort of intersects with his pants or her skirt, the way it's billowing out there. And then I I take little screenshots, screen grabs of of these these figures. Uh, Those I I work just with the black and white, with Mm. the Japanese ink, because I'm not interested in showing any of the context. I'm not interested in showing where they are, street, uh, even ex- so no no sort of facial expressions. It's purely the form because obviously if, if you if you imagine looking down on something, your perspective has changed completely. So it's also sort of known as bird's eye view. If you imagine you're a bird sitting on the top of the parking lot looking down, uh, you you don't actually get to see a, a face. You mostly are seeing the top of someone's head and then and then clothing. Um, but what what you're looking at also is you're painting not just the shape, but you're very much painting by default the space between the shapes. Yes. So that's also a lot to do with anybody who's ever taught drawing. Is is one of the big things to to teach. A, a student is to change the way they look at objects by looking rather at the gap. So look at the space between that, the spaces that you find in the body. Say if, if, if an arm, a hand is on a hip, what is the shape of the space between the arm and the body? Um, and all of a sudden your brain, you, you're forcing your brain to look at something that you see every single day, but you're looking at it in a different way. So those those simple ink paintings, for me, I, they feel a little bit like haikus in a way because what I'm trying to do is capture in, in as few brushstrokes as possible a moment in time where, where a number of completely sort of arbitrary people are walking along a street. So that could be a scene that you find anywhere in any city in the world. It's kind of a universal moment. But I do know that I'm trying to capture that person. And so I do have like one go at doing it. So there is more more place for error, so to speak. So, so what I'm trying to get at here is that there are two quite different ways of painting. The one is almost like my drawing practice but then I very much have to keep to a shape and I haven't, there isn't too much room for like just splashing it on the paper. It's quite clean. It's quite clinical. Mm. Um, and I really enjoy the process of trying to capture very beautifully and accurately a form, but where it still has a looseness about the, the mark making and, and the brush strokes. I'm working with quite big Japanese brushes and Chinese brushes, which, which are, which are beautiful as you know. Mm. Um, and that process is quite different to my bigger work. So I'm still working with water base, but then then I'm working on much bigger surfaces, and then I'm working on the floor because I'm I'm sometimes pouring pouring paint onto the surface. Sometimes I'm working with 
a broom to shift it or rags or whatever. So, so there is the one requires a real attention and I suppose is very much like a meditative space. And then the other is, is, is a lot more playful, allows for, is almost relying on the, that beauty of, of where things go a bit wrong. Or, yeah. or, or you lose control, or you, you, you relinquish the control that you had in the other technique. Neat. So I suppose that there you're looking at um, one artist having to use maybe a slightly opposing natural forces. Yes. Um, forces of – because, I mean, chaos and control seem to be these two elements. I mean, I know that um, – I mean, I was listening to a podcast or reading something the other day that said, what is it that set artists apart? Is that they can sit, creative people particularly, can sit in the spaces of uncertainty for much longer mm. than the average person. Mm. So I think in a sense your practice really exposes that, that that you're able to embrace the chaos when you can when you yeah. relinquish control <laughs> and, yeah. and be okay with that process of yeah. not knowing. Yeah. Because yeah. you you make that mark and it's still got to dry and yes. then you don't know what's going to yes, happen. Yes, yes, yes. And but I mean, you know, working as we were discussing before you came in, you know, working mm. to a deadline, oh, then that yeah. shifts must shift that yes, process a yes. bit. Because yeah, well, what can you, you take those risks? Oh no! And what you've just said is that I literally have been in the studio for two weeks, marching up and down, and occasionally sitting on the chair thinking, "What? what I really I should just change jobs. I don't know what I'm doing here." <laughs> It's not working. Nothing's working. It's just everything I'm putting down. I'm literally putting it down, looking at it, and then taking it off with a rag or, 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 or almost obliterating it to the point that it's not there. And then the only thing that works is to keep on arriving every day at that same space, which is your studio, and doing doing it some more. And then one day, one afternoon or morning, you're like, Actually, now hang on a second. That there's something about that that's working, and it's not necessarily that it's beautiful or pretty. It's it could even be that it's kind of uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. And but as an artist, and because you've doing been doing it for so long, you intuitively recognize that that I've just done now is a is a bit of a breakthrough. Um, and and so it, it, it's such a you know many artists will describe how being making artists just so much a, a, a mimic of 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 living life because it's it's seldom life just doesn't really turn out the way you think it's going to or you think you've super planned and organized now and then something pops up that that throws the like you know, COVID. The, yeah, or a taxi strike, or yes. the weather. Yeah, or, yeah, you know. and and you just don't have that control. So it's a it's a real uh, it's a game. And if you can if you can not take yourself too seriously, and hopefully if you're not working to too much of a deadline, um, because a deadline can almost instantly what it does is it puts the gallerist on your shoulder, uh, or the selector, and so where you would have nobody in the room. Now all of a sudden there's somebody else in the room going, oh, no, 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 we love, we love the yellows more than the blues. Yes. And so you start making a few decisions that, that, are, um, that actually curtail your freedom. So um, it's, 
It's a funny, it's a funny, funny juggling space, and and because your your reason you have that freedom is because of the collector or the buyer. Yes. So it it's, in well, in like in your practice, it's about those spaces between the shapes because mm. you need the shapes to have the the spaces between where you can yeah. find your your yeah. freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it. Um, yeah, there's something about my um, – because sometimes, you know, the, the, the common question to an artist is uh, like wh- where do you find your inspiration and what makes you make – how can you – you know, how do you walk into your studio and decide, okay, I'm going to paint birds today or, or gardens or I'm, I'm going to paint about my state of mind. And – I realize that it is is very much I seem to choose I tend to work in bodies of work mm-hmm. and again this comes back to this a little bit of self a little bit of, of self consciousness around um, uh, jumping almost from one subject to another and I, I I realize I just have to allow myself to do that so I very much work content-wise, with subject matter, with color, with form that is about something that's going on in my life. That could just be some. So often it's a reflection of an environment where I'm working or living. So at the moment, the paintings I'm working on are all about lake, about water and land, because I live in Lakeside just before Musenberg. And I'd never really done looked at my my own neighborhood landscape apart from the the the, the watercolor and ink beach figures that I do which yes. is this is very very simple quite sort of lighthearted but once again very everyday scenes of people um who who what I realize about those people both the beach figures and the city figures is I'm watching them and they're not watching me uh-huh. they don't know they're being watched so in that you you have a repose. So the beach figures you certainly have people just relaxing, lying, sort of sun worshiping, and it's mostly the figure in repose that I'm interested in, not so much the person on the surfboard or the action. I'm not mm. interested in the action figure. I'm interested in that capturing, being a bit of a voyeur and capturing people that don't realize they're being watched. Um, what is, sorry, just to interject, mm. what is it about that moment of repose? I mean, because that can take, you can be reclining on a beach, mm. but sometimes, I mean, when I go to the beach, I also enjoy people watching. Sometimes mm. it's just the face of someone watching the sea. Yes. The way the body yes, shifts. Yes, so absolutely. Is it something sh- about the, the way the body relaxes in the natural y- space? Or? Yes, and I think there's, I think if you've ever done life drawing, of which I did lots at, at university and then I taught life, life drawing for many, many years, I've always loved the figure. I've loved, I've always loved painting and looking at the human figure and form. And I think there's something also kind of slightly bizarre about all these people who've almost taken all their clothes off except for this tiny garment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between that and wearing your knickers? There isn't really any difference except because you haven't been exposed and you aren't in your knickers, you're in your costume. There's a relaxation and a kind of I don't actually care who you are. I don't care that I'm lying here in all my glory. Um, and I am kind of... Uh, I am sort of outside of myself, so I'm not 
maybe I'm thinking about work, but there's something what that happens to the body, just as you said, when you are relaxed. And sometimes it's sort of reading a book or just like covering your face, covering the sun out of your face or looking at your cell phone or chatting to somebody. So that so the challenge for me as as a um, as an as as an artist in that moment in trying to capture the human form is to get that get that body expression without it being too labored, without it being too illustrative, and without it being too pretty or beautiful. So you're trying to capture beauty, but in a in a sort of everyday way. Um, and then then I'll flop from I'll sort of flop from that to a whole body of landscape painting. So so if I think back on the shows that I've had, I'll have a whole show. Um, I had a show called Trail at Smith Gallery when it still existed, which was all about uh, the walks that my daughter and my ex-partner used to take because we, we split up when my daughter was about three and a half. Um, and then when she would go to her dad, we'd, we would have this kind of lovely space where instead of – would just sit. What I wanted to avoid was dropping my daughter off at her dad and then saying bye bye now yes. and disappear. Yeah. So we would have a walk in the green belt, which was near where they lived at that's, the time. That's a lovely way. And of, that yeah, was the transition of yeah. you going from mom to dad, and we'd walk in this exquisite green belt, just trees and green and this sort of lush, beautiful, tranquil space. So the whole show which was still at a time where it was very heart sore and and you know hugely emotional it was um the show was all just these soft huge soft ink and watercolor paintings on paper which was just capturing landscape um but, but then, it was also capturing a very particular place that your body and the body of your exactly, family was walking exactly to. and that and that i think is is apparent. Mm. So it's not just these, it's not just a landscape painting. There they were, in fact, paintings of a family, but just without the family being there. And they're charged with all those yes. complicated family feelings. Yeah. If I remember those words. Yeah. The way that the material describes the landscapes. Yeah. Like you say, it's a yes. portrait of the absent yes. body. Yes. And in fact, that's such an important word you use there, charge, because every single series of paintings or so every painting that I'm, I make, I'm, I hope is charged with whatever uh, is whatever I was trying, whatever I was feeling about either that reference or that space or that person um, that I was painting. Um, and so I think there's that, so that, that I think is quite nice in a way is to realize that you are, even though it feels like these bodies of work seem to be so different, you are using the same, it's the same thing that I keep on coming back to, which is, which is a what, it's something is charging. So there's something about that landscape or this image, because I also work quite a bit with, with imagery, found imagery, a lot that I find from just like everyday newspapers or my like my local neighborhood newspaper where you have these quite bizarre images. could be like a, somebody winning the netball championship that 
term or whatever, or somebody getting a prize or somebody at a dance. or a, But I, I look through those images because for me they are universal. They're about the, the general sort of quite beautiful and plain and simple exploits of mankind in mm. general. But there's something about that picture as a photograph that just grabs me and I'm like there's something so both beautiful and strange and bizarre about that. Sometimes it's quite tragic. Sometimes it's um, it's just, uh, I don't know, you can't put your finger on it, but it, it, it's strong enough just in that photograph for me to then take that photograph and 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 use it as a as a jumping off point. So I, I'm not interested in painting that photograph, but using it as a springboard to create a new a kind of a new narrative that, and that's where we spoke about. I have no idea what that painting is going to look like. All I yeah. know is there's something about that photograph I like, and it's going to be somewhere in the background of my studio. But I am I'm responding to that. Um, and that's where that, again, that idea of, of tension. So uh, although I sort of broke her in beauty and subtlety, I love the idea of working with beauty. I'm, I'm also interested in the polar opposite of that, that, there is a, that there's something uneasy, something painful, something tragic that always sits with, within the space of beauty. I want um, to use the word Poignant, mm. you know, like um, you think about films or books, or they, they the narratives often take you from a slight tragedy, so that the sweet moment is almost sweeter. Yes. You know, that's sweet yes. and sour. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's not it's not saccharine. Uh, you need the you need the balance and the tension of both those elements in any painting, I think. Um, but I suppose that's something that I imagine it's not necessarily something that I start out thinking, oh, now I must remember to put that tension in the yes. painting. <laughs> <laughs> but it certainly can answer the question as an artist, why is this not working? Why am, I, why am I not feeling like it's finished? And then it can sometimes be because you don't have a, a base tone or base note in whether it be in the color or whether it be in the form or you somehow um, you still just have to sit with it a bit longer before that before that sort of push pull comes into the work. Yeah. So you've um, you've recently had a show in in Joburg. Y yeah, a group show, part group of a group show. Yeah. Um, what I mean, what else is in the pipeline for you? Have you got some other shows lined up? Yes, so I've got uh, the work I'm, I'm I'm busy with at the moment, which I think is going to be quite. It's it's I've, I've been working on about five paintings, uh, and they are of of my sort of lakeside Musenberg uh, neighborhood, so where water meets the land. Yeah, well, how long have you been in Musenberg? Because you were based uh, in in town. Before. Yes, yes. So about it's now my daughter's thirteen, and we moved there when she was one. So it's twelve years. Twelve years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it does have Lakeside has this quite bizarre, almost like an old washed up uh, uh, holiday place. And Amusenburg has a little bit of that element as well. Yes. It used to be magnificent and it kind of still is, but it's in a way it's better because now it's much more diverse than it ever used to be. But there's and there's something Lakeside's a little bit windswept and a little bit. It's uh, a little bit harsh there. It's, yes, it can be, but yet it also has elements of. 
of sort of holiday. You know, yes. I kind of feel like I live in a place that's permanently on holiday. And you have all the all the all those telltale elements of holiday, like like the like the the rowing boats and the and the trees and these loads of palm trees and pine trees and and just to have the mountain there and the beach and so all those elements that are sort of quite cliched. Um, so so I feel like there's a lot of paint. There's a lot of work that can come from that. But uh, this is just a few paintings that will go onto a group show at Cavalli. Mm-hmm. Um, called the title of the of the group shows I never promised you a rose garden oh which is quite nice which sort of yes. works quite well for where my landscape work t- tends to end up um and then uh, Graham Contemporary w- 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 we had a show on uh for the last uh, two months part of a group show quite a big show uh, so it's a, it's a very big gallery quite a beautiful contemporary gallery in Hyde Park uh shopping mall which is quite unusual, but I went to visit it in <clears throat> June, July. It's actually an amazing space. So what's quite nice about having a gallery and a shopping mall is you tend to – it's less exclusive yes. than a, like, like you know, your average contemporary gallery that only artists and buyers go to. But it's quite nice to have a gallery in a space where ordinary people might land up. Yeah, and because well, they're just going shopping, in. yeah, to get their groceries. Um, or whatever, or their so, uh, yeah, so I, I, that's an, a fairly new relationship with them. But they, are, I'll be a part of, hopefully, part of another group show to, uh, coming up in November, and and then also a, um, a, like a mini solo next year. Because it's a very big space, so so it it can accommodate like two two or three solos in one one space. And that's nice for you because it's not too overwhelming. Exactly. That deadline. Yes, the idea of a mini solo is very... (laughs) very You're not going to have that gallerist on your shoulder (laughs) (laughs) telling you you can't throw blue paint on that picture. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But otherwise it's just, um, yeah, just just making. I think that's the thing is, is is, is to never stop you know, making work, partly because one, you know, one is compelled to do so, but uh, you never really know what opportunities arise. And it's very nice to have if a gallerist, gallery contacts you and says, what we'd like you to be a part of a show, then it's nice to say, well, I have these four paintings as opposed to, okay, now I must get back in my studio and make something for that show. Yes, I've always, um, even when I've when I've taught students or just in my discussions about art, Whoops. I've always um, spoken about it as a, a continual process and that a, a show is more like a milestone than an end point. Yes. That you keep yes. traveling mm, and, you, and mm. these shows kind of show are like snapshots of what yes. you're doing, but that you are building a practice. Yes. And that that's going to go on no yes. matter what. Yes, yes. Yes, in a way it's it's a little bit like a, an actor just having a complete um, – uh, entertaining themselves on the stage, and it just so happens that you snuck your head around the corner and watched them for a little bit. Yes. So it's not performing for an audience. It just so happens that people are seeing what you're making. Yes. And I think that is a way that you can remain on your trajectory and rem- and and have a sort of uh, what's the word? A kind of uh, an, an, an honesty. And on authenticity to what you're making, because it, it is there is that tricky thing because it, I mean, we are we are creating 
product, I suppose. It yeah. is commoditized. There's it no is. getting around that. And it's very nice when work is sold. So, and it's quite difficult if you if you're selling well through a gallery and they're like, "Oh, we just want more of that stuff, please." Or can you make? Remember that lovely painting you made four years ago? Can you make something like that? And and that's a that's an awful thing for a gallerist to ask any artist to do because it's like saying, "Could you go back in time and try and recreate a time and place and as an artist when you are not there anymore?" Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and you've, like I said, you've moved on. Like, yeah. I think yeah. that's echoed and, and Andrew was saying when he was looking back at some of the older works in yeah. this Latitude collection. Yes. He said, he looked a bit nervous and he said, well, it's just that, you know, I've moved on so yes. much and I, when I look back, I see what was going on at that mm. time. Mm. Mm. Um, and I love that idea of the artwork being like a, it's like a, a sort of timestamp for the artist, like of a particular, yeah, not just time, but mental space yes. as well. Yes, yes.